Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond on a plane The pick uh, <laughs> Welcome to The Pick I'm Colin Westman John Otney And Sean Lemmy Are all here um, this week we're talking about Looney Tunes back in action. Finally, yeah, yeah. we took this many episodes. <laughs> our fourth episode. Yeah. Just itching to get out. Maybe this. fifth. I I've never seen remember. this movie. Neither had I, which is uh, weird because I was like a huge Space Jam fan as a kid. I've kind of become a huge Space Jam fan as an adult for some reason. Um, well, that that time is over now, I assume. You think this movie killed it? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it. Uh, so, uh, as we do on each episode, we will share our little picks before getting to our big pick. So... I'm going to uh, choose an album as my little pick. Um, so I think it was last week, um, Daniel Johnston passed away, and he was a singer-songwriter who I didn't really know much about other than like his reputation. You know, he battled with mental illness his whole life, and he was very influential on a lot of uh, sort of alternative indie rock bands from the 80s and 90s. Um, I did end up watching the documentary about him, uh, The Devil and Daniel Johnston, uh, which was quite good. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you seen that? I have. Okay, yeah. So it's, you know, it's just a documentary about his whole life and his process and kind of about how his, uh, his mental illness kind of affected the people around him, but also how he had a you know, uh, interestingly sort of adventurous musical career because he was this talented guy who would just lock himself in his garage and come drink Mountain Dew, drink Mountain Dew and write these like very intimate kind of simplistic but sort of catchy songs. And um, yeah, so because I, I really wasn't familiar with any of uh, his work, I... I listen to some of his stuff i mean his reputation's kind of built on the early uh home recorded uh cassettes he put out which are a little harder to get into um i guess the album i'll recommend because i've found it a pretty accessible entry point for him is the album fun which came out in 1994 it's sort of notorious in his you know the grand scope of his career because it was his major label debut and it was a huge flop which is not surprising at all i don't think daniel Justin was an artist really cut out for a major label but it's just like the 90s were this weird time where all these alternative and indie acts were getting signed to major labels and even an artist like johnson who was kind of tangentially you know <laughs> affiliated with Indian alternative rock got signed to a major label um and it, it's yeah it's just uh I would say a good um sort of more polished version of of his work I think he recorded it with one of the members of Butthole Surfers um and it's uh yeah it's just good <laughs> I don't know <laughs> 
that's good to know because I've only ever tried to listen to the early cassette recordings. Yeah. And like those songs are really good, but those recordings are rough, dude. Like you'd literally yeah. record them on a tape recorder <laughs> and then had a duplicator and then would just hand out these tapes to people. Like you look at the artwork for most of these albums and it's like cassette artwork. Like because he was also like an artist too. He had kind yeah. of simplistic drawings that he put everywhere. But I've always really liked his his, uh, his songs. I always try to get more into them, but it's it's tough because like if you want to start from the beginning, there's like probably like nine cassettes or whatever, and like three albums a year because the dude was was a prolific songwriter. But yeah, he's just so interesting. Yeah, yep. I, I I watched um they make it they made like another like mini documentary about him in like 2015 maybe mm-hmm. that I watched recently because I was also pretty sad because I was a big fan of that documentary and I was just going on YouTube watching a bunch of interviews with him and he was like I mean he's such an eccentric guy but he seemed really sweet too he seemed really nice and Mm. people are always giving like Beatles stuff I love that he loves the Beatles and you can see a little bit of that influence in his work definitely he has a song called The Beatles (laughs) this is tough this is the year of like the outsider artist dying because Rocky Erickson also died a couple months ago yeah and he's also a guy who was really like a misunderstood great songwriter. <laughs> also who, an Austin-based yeah, artist. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but that dude is like, I was trying to watch some of his more recent interviews. That dude is, it is he's incomprehensible. Yeah. But they're, you know, he's great, and Dan Johnson's great. So yeah, just real bummer because not not even not that old or anything. Yeah. He never really like, seemed that well. I mean, like, if you watch more be, recent videos. To be him. fair, I'm a, it's kind of surprising he lived as long as he did. I mean, considering. At one point, he survived a plane crash. Yeah, like it was—I think it was 1990. After mm-hmm. he had performed at a South by Southwest, he went off his meds because he thought he he would perform better. And so his dad's driving like a you know a small uh, two-person aircraft. And then at a certain point, uh, he has this episode where he thought he was Casper the Ghost, and he took the key out of the ignition and threw it out the window of the airplane but luckily like the trees they landed on wait 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 yeah airplanes have keys i guess like cars they're just like big cars that fly they're just big cars fucking everyone in your family drives planes (laughs) did you know this and they do drive them because they're like cars (laughs) whoa i didn't even know you could like open the window of an airplane i would assume so yeah how do, how would you think that you turn on an airplane? Um, like the Millennium Falcon, like you flip a bunch of switches on the dashboard. <laughs> like a big switch, you like pull it down, or, or go or go like push it forward. Yeah, there's definitely one of those, but also just like a lot of little switches that they all have to they all have to be switched. <laughs> I, I'd be surprised if like a commercial airplane had keys. Like, oh damn, we lost the keys. To the... Yeah. But maybe like a personal like plane. I don't know. I'm out of my element here. <laughs> Surprise. Well, perhaps you'll be more in your element talking about your little pick. Uh, wait, 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 wait. How did he survive the crash? They just hit a trees. bunch of trees. They just hit a bunch of... That's how you and, die. Yeah, well, I guess they, like... Soften the soften blow. blow enough trees that they soft, live. Soft. Did, did you learn anything from no, the giving tree? None of the logic of this story checks out in my mind. Well, <laughs> you can read about it. I don't know what to tell I you. I heard this story, too. It's not like I just made this up. I'm not saying that. It just seems wild to me. Yeah, well, it was it's, wild. It's pretty wild. So I have the plane crash. Crazier things have happened. Okay, I'll go next. Uh, I also have, I guess, like an album, more of just a band that I've been kind of checking out. 
uh, this band called Magic Sword, which I was getting pretty into. They only have one album, uh, and they have, I think they're most known for having a song in the Thor Ragnarok trailer. They're very, like, electronic, but also, like, rock with kind of, like, a fantasy element, because they're called Magic Sword. Uh, and they also kind of look like low-rent Daft Punk, where they all wear, like, black cloaks, and they wear these white masks with visors, but then they wear, like, T-shirts underneath. And it's a drummer and keyboard player and a guitarist and they have hilarious names they're the keeper the seer and the weaver and so you know they have all these songs like um what are some of the song names sword of truth or in the face of evil is the is the thor one and i found out about them because i follow the record label that they i guess are releasing their current album they have an album coming out in october uh, joyful noise is the name of the label uh, I, I follow them because Deerhoof is on that is on that label and I like them. Uh, so they have a new album coming out in October and it's cool like fantasy wizard music. <laughs> I, I can get in that. All instrumental, super rocking. Uh, definitely fills that void of Daft Punk considering they go like on like six, eight year hiatuses between albums. <laughs> oh wow. I mean think about it. like when when was the last Daft Punk out? Two, Random Access Memories is 2013. 2013. And then what's the gap between that and the one before that? Like like seven eight years yeah so you know you gotta fill that void with some sort of weird electronic robot replacement there's a lot of robots these days oh volume one is their only album out right now but their new album coming out is called awakening and it's got a sword on it (laughs) does volume one also have a sword on it it does good um, my little pick is a YouTube channel. Uh, I've been in sort of a transitionary period lately, and I didn't want to commit to a new show, but I do like to have something to watch before I go to bed, and so I've turned to the YouTube, and there's a channel that I've been a fan of for, I don't know, more than a year now, uh, that I think I might have mentioned to you guys before, called Bon Appetit, that um, they've made... Uh, they were a magazine. Now uh, they've made themselves into sort of like a hit YouTube series. Uh, I've come to like food entertainment. You know, starting with the I guess the Great British Baking Show, uh, and then also binging with Babish, another YouTube channel uh, that I enjoy. And and Bon Appetit is much more consistent than those because they're putting out probably a new video every day. Um, and they've got a few shows that I think are really good. There's one. Uh, called Gourmet Makes, where they have a, uh, a pastry chef try to recreate famous um, super processed foods in a gourmet way. So like the first episode was like, how do you make Twinkies in your kitchen? And she's trying to do things like uh, M&M's and, uh, you know, other like in- incredibly processed foods. <laughs> gourmet Pringles? Gourmet Pringles. Gourmet Twix. Yeah, and and uh, and they have another show. I think it's called Back to Back Chef, where they have a surprisingly famous celebrity guest show up, um, and uh, them and one of the hosts uh, both try to make a, a dish at the same time. Um, so she's like trying to teach the guest how to make whatever it is they're making. Most of the time, people have never made it before, but they've had people like Natalie Portman on, which Michael I've, Shannon, Michael oh. Shannon, which is a fun one. Um, Do they make deep dish? I feel like you'd want to make something in Chicago. <laughs> That's the thing is she just like picks a food, and um, one of the most recent ones was like a YouTube guy that I'd never heard of. I think it was like a 
yeah, I think it's just one guy. There's also like one with a group a little bit before that. Um, but they they made like a fish thing, and he's like, I hate seafood, and so he made it, and he like throws up, and he's like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, and the third of their shows that I think is really good on the Bon Appetit channel um, is called It's Alive with Brad, where they have um, their sort of kitchen manager guy um, try to make living food, so a lot of fermented stuff. Um, and he's just he's just like a super like down to earth, goofy, you know, kind of adorably dim witted guy. Uh, the you know he's exactly the the type of person you want to spend a lot of time with, and and they have a lot of fun with the editing of those videos, little uh, you know like word bubbles and stuff pop up, the animations. Um, it's a lot of food that I would never choose to make, but it's fun to watch professionals deal with it. It is interesting to me that you are you enjoy watching these kinds of videos, but you don't seem to be that much of a chef. I hate to cook. You've you've tried cooking at different points in your life, it seems like, but you've never really gotten that into it. I hate it. I think it's fun. I just hate (laughs) buying the shit for it. I hate shopping. That's my problem. You go to the store like every day. Yeah, but you have to buy a bunch of shit. <laughs> and you have to buy like vegetables and then you have to interact with like the, the, the people who work there. I just want to do self-checkout. I know you can like punch in the numbers, but I don't have time for that. I'm just in and out, into the shadows. Okay. Uh, I don't think either of you made a compelling case for me to not cook food. But, uh, well, I wasn't you know. trying to. Yeah. <laughs> you should cook. Everyone yeah. should cook. Uh, Maybe some duck or rabbit, depending on the season. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a seasonal f- food. Um, so Looney Tunes back in action. The world's looniest heroes are back. Welcome to my world. To save mankind. We cannot let a boy and girl and a duck and a rabbit thwart our plans for global domination. In an adventure somewhere between reality... Of course you realize this means war. ...and insanity. (laughs) Now that's funny. Looney Tunes, back in action. Film from 2003. Uh... Why did you pick this again? Because because you, you're the biggest Space Jam fan. I'm in the, the biggest world. Space Jam fan of all time. I don't think that's really true. <laughs> Only on like two pieces of Space Jam merchandise. I did on the VHS as a kid. Did you play the video game? I did play the video game like a couple of years ago. <laughs> years ago, <laughs> at our friend's Matt Matt's house because he had it for PlayStation for some reason, especially <laughs> just NBA Jam, except uh, with with the Looney Tunes. Yeah, and there was a mini game where you snuck around in the locker room as Wayne Knight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. doing what? I'm trying to figure out what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> what you so you're sneaking around? Okay, mm-hmm. like collecting clues. I don't really remember. Yeah. I mean, a big part of Space Jam uh, as a kid was was the merchandise. I don't know if I had a ton of it. I can't even remember if I had any action figures. But I was kind of like beyond action figures at that point. Because I was like, I was pretty into sports at at this point in my childhood. And then gave up sports when I realized that I was also a nerd. Even though I had some athletic ability. Um, 
this movie kind of catered to like both sides of me at this point, I think, because I was a kid who would sit at home all day watching Nickelodeon. Um, and this was a time when Looney Tunes were still playing in reruns, I believe, on Nickelodeon. Could have been yeah, Cartoon Network. I think both at certain okay, times. So, Everywhere, man. You know, we may have been the last generation to grow up with uh, Looney Tunes on TV still. Uh, and then I was pretty into sports. Like, I think baseball was my number one, but basketball was definitely number two since I was growing up in Seattle and we had those those good teams in the mid to late 90s with Gary Payton and and Sean Kemp, and uh, as far as the sports world is concerned, Michael Jordan was, he was as big as it gets, uh, as far as just his dominance over basketball and, uh, you know, just, just over all media. Over all media, and this was him conquering television. I guess I shouldn't get into talking about Space Jam too much, but, you know, it, it's just so it informs a lot of you know how Looney Tunes back in action was made and there there is a shadow that that Space Jam casts over Looney Tunes back in action for sure how um, much time was there between Space Jam and back in action seven years so kind of a rocky process mm-hmm. to get to Looney Tunes back in action because I believe they had started on a Space Jam 2 shortly after uh, Space Jam was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly, they had even gotten started on, you know, new new animated, you know, new animations for it, I guess. I don't know. They, they started developing a villain named Berserko. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this was headed by, like, the same, you know, animation department at Warner Brothers. Uh, even though Joe Pitka, the director, did not sign on, for another Space Jam. It seemed like he kind of hated making it. He and hated making movies. He was he, a commercial guy. Yeah, he, <laughs> he had directed Michael Jordan and I believe the Looney Tunes in a bunch of commercials before making Space yeah, Jam. Yeah, that, that's what led to Space Jam was like a commercial with, with Michael Jordan and Bugs Money. Yeah. I also heard that, and I, I haven't really confirmed this because I haven't watched the special features of the Space Jam Blu-ray, mm-hmm. but supposedly... Joe Pitka like cares so little about Space Jam that he didn't even provide enough commentary to fill out the commentary <laughs> track. So it'll often cut away to like Bugs and Daffy, and then they'll be like, "And here's Joe to tell us about this scene," because they probably have about ten minutes worth of him actually saying stuff about Holy the movie. Shit. Yeah, that's a cutaway to cartoon yeah. characters, and it's like it's not a long movie. It's like eighty-five minutes. Maybe a little longer. It always goes by super short because it doesn't like have a second act. <laughs> Just the first act, and then it's the end of the movie. Yeah. So in addition to that, Michael Jordan never signed on for a sequel or agreed That's to do it. That's what was holding it back. I've always wondered why they didn't get right on And, it. you know, he seems like a guy who, who's just like, if he's not interested in doing something, just like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. And no one's really going to sway him because... He's, he's got shitloads of money. Like, he, he doesn't need to do another Space Jam if he doesn't want to. And I, th- I don't know. I don't know if he had a, a bad time doing Space Jam, but it seemed like something he kind of just, like, fit into his basketball training schedule. I believe they made a court for him so to practice, practice I've heard that on too. while they were shooting the scenes. Yeah. Um, so he was back in basketball when they made Space Jam? Yeah. 
it wasn't like Space Jam was the movie that announced his return to basketball. <laughs> yeah, they just like built it around yeah. the real life. <laughs> it was really good marketing. It was almost like Space Jam was just a good PR move as opposed to something that Michael Jordan's like, well, I have to be in movies. Yeah. And it, it's a good PR move, too, because Michael Jordan... He comes off very well in that movie. Like he, like he just seems like the greatest when you watch. Just like nice guy, stands up for the Looney Tunes, even though, yeah, in real life he seems like kind of a hothead, mm-hmm. <laughs> yelling at his teammates and whatnot. Uh, and so when that never uh, came to fruition, they started working on. A project called Spy Jam, which was to star Jackie Chan. I remember hearing about this movie. I remember hearing about it from Sean. Yeah, I think Sean. What could be more exciting? It's the best idea. I love Jackie Chan. Uh, I just love Jam in the title. That's (laughs) weird because. I guess you need some connection. uh, People know it's a sequel. Yeah. You know, Spy and Space have the same first two letters. Like, sure, why not? Uh. And then that never happened. Also, they're planning a Race Jam movie with Jeff Gordon, who seems like the least charismatic hey, he also did SNL athlete. Once. Yeah, and I think we'll be talking about him again <laughs> right. shortly. Yeah. Um, uh, so I guess we can talk about how both of those projects kind of inserted themselves into <laughs> Looney Tunes back in action. Yeah, and then after those didn't happen uh they somehow got in contact with joe dante of gremlins and small soldiers fame uh to direct a looney tunes movie i think i i also read that joe dante was trying to get a movie made about chuck jones the looney tunes animator yeah and because it was a period piece warner brothers just they didn't go for it and so they said this was the only way that he could make his Looney Tunes movie, which was complicated by the fact that Joe Dante hated Space Jam. He thought it stripped the characters of their personalities. Yeah, which is perhaps a valid point. I don't think it does for for Bugs. Maybe for yeah. Daffy, and I kind of want to chime in on that when we talk a little bit more about <laughs> Daffy's role in Back in Action. Yeah, but the movie is... Ultimately, it's more about Michael Jordan, and it's more about the space alien than the big game. And yeah. I, I can see how he would think that the Looney Tunes kind of get lost a little bit in the shuffle, even though they are, you know, kind of the selling point of that movie. Didn't, um, and I'm not sure if this timeline is correct, didn't Chuck Jones die fairly close to around this time? I think maybe? so. So maybe Dante wanted to do it kind of as a tribute as, a, as, a tribute, as well. Yeah. It's hard for me to tell, I didn't read into it, where this is in Joe Dante's career. If his career was already kind of on the way out at this point, or if this was the thing that just put the nail in it. And people were like, eh, maybe we shouldn't hire that guy. Because well, he did make, Small Soldiers wasn't, that was like, what, 98 maybe? That was 98. Yeah. Um, but before that, like, he only had two movies, in, hmm. or three movies in the 90s. He had Matinee, Gremlins 2. And Small Soldiers. Definitely trending in the kids' films direction, which is interesting considering where his career started. So yeah, uh, Dante's coming off Small Soldiers, another movie that mixes sort of 
animation, CG animation. And, and he's and always kind people. of been a director who basically does live-action cartoons. Yeah. Way back, totally. you know, in the 80s, he was making movies. The Gremlins have always been super cartoony yep. in themselves. So it seems like a good fit. In theory, it should have been a good idea. <laughs> yeah. In theory. In theory, but... I've read that Joe Dante doesn't even like to talk about Looney Tunes action action, but he's basically just said that he didn't get much control over the the production. Yeah, and it sounds it, like he got screwed because he's like a super nice guy. He's not like a jerk or anything. Yeah, I mean, just hearing about the confused, muddled, long production cycle leading up to this movie, it's not surprising to hear that there was tampering even when they're like trying to make it. It doesn't really. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really sound like anyone really knew how to use these characters. It's almost like it was just kind of a fluke the first time. Like, who would have ever thought Looney Tunes basketball sounds like a, a match made in heaven? Man, it's insane that Space Jam works. <laughs> like, the premise doesn't make any fucking sense, but it, it somehow you watch it and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, aliens, basketball, Looney Tunes, like sure. Bill Murray and Larry Bird. Yeah, sure, okay. Website's still up, people remember. Yeah, yeah. it's just something about the energy of it, just the fact that it's very no-nonsense plot-wise, <laughs> very clean, very short, to the point. It's got some just some fun scenes. But uh, should should be a mess by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and uh, this movie's kind of a mess. I don't even know how kind to, of. I don't even know how to get through the plot without confusing myself. Should we try to go from the beginning until, sure. to a point where we get tired of talking about the plot and then just go on tangents? <laughs> that sounds fine. So it opens with a, a cartoon and the classic. Uh, Elmer Fudd hunting Bugs and Daffy. And it's the rabbit season, duck season bit. And then I feel like... was it, What interrupts it? Was, is Daffy like, I don't want to do this? There's there's some interruption, and then we cut to them like in a boardroom. In a boardroom. As, as any great kids movie should start yeah, in a boardroom. Yeah, kids love to see executives <laughs> talking about uh, the direction of their studio. <laughs> Really, all kids have at this point, aside from the hijinks of the two cartoon characters being in the meeting, is the fact that we have the hilarious casting of those famous twin actors from Terminator 2 and Gremlins 2, a lot of twos, as the Warner Brothers, which I love. Because <laughs> they're actual brothers and they're twins. And it seems like uh, they're trying to decide if it's a good idea to keep around Daffy. And, and then what's-her-face, Jenna... Elfman, Elfman from the early 2000s and late 90s. From Dharma and Greg. From Dharma and Greg. Uh, is like, what, the VP of comedy or something? Something like that. Everyone's like the VP of something. It's <laughs> like a recurring gag that's never funny. And she's uh, stepping in saying like, oh, we shouldn't do this. I don't remember her particular reasons for why it's not a good idea. And this is where, like, how did she get cast in this movie? She does not have at all have the energy for this role. <laughs> okay, so I, I I wanted to say this for later, but I'm thinking every person who's in this movie, maybe with the exception of Brendan Fraser, was probably like their twelfth pick. <laughs> How many people turned down this part before? It's probably just going through a long list of what about that person, what about this person, until you finally land on someone who people kind of know, who are like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. That's how it happened. <laughs> 
She's on a somewhat successful TV show. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like her and Brendan Fraser both have big, like, mid-30s, middle-aged energy, which does not line up with the childish characters they're playing. It's... Who, who would have worked, like... To be fair, I think their energy kind of works when you compare it to Steve Martin, who's way too cartoony oh, well, yeah, in terms of his energy. I think being kind of deadpan's okay. Like, I think it worked in Space Jam where Michael Jordan's, he's he's a straight man to the Looney Tunes. I think you need to have that going against literal cartoon characters. I'm not saying they were the best choice to be the straight people for the the Looney Tunes, but I think it's, it's fine. It's serviceable. I think, especially with this, with her character, because she is the de facto villain for the first half of the movie, mm-hmm. um, you needed someone much more charismatic and perhaps like because uh, like you could you could put play this as she's under a ton of pressure to see it at work, her job's on the line. Um, you, you needed to be someone you kind of want to root for, but instead she just fires Daffy Duck <laughs> and then sort of on her. Oh no, because. They fire her for firing Daffy Duck, and so she goes on her own quest for revenge. I found it very off-putting. Yeah. I wasn't rooting for her. <laughs> anyway, we're doing the plot. So yeah, uh, the studio is in disarray. Meanwhile, on another part of the Warner Brothers lot, Brendan Fraser as DJ, which stands for something... Damien Jr., maybe? Damien Jr. Drake is my guess. But he's uh, trying out uh, as a stuntman for a movie, like a, a stuntman audition. Uh, and uh, he's supposed to jump on a table, but he can't break the table. And they're like, you suck. Is that what's going on in that scene? <laughs> I think so. What I, like, he, what I saw was he walks out and he falls on a table and they're like, yeah, no thanks, get out of here. I was like, what? was he not supposed to do that? Was he just walking onto the set on accident? Did you not? But he, he, he wanted to be a stuntman. He wanted to be a stuntman. I remember he says that. But I didn't understand didn't the audition. Together. But uh, they don't like him because he can't break a table. Yeah. And he does have some stunt experience because he's been Brendan Fraser's stunt person. <laughs> I forgot about that. A lot of self awareness in this movie. I don't know if I should talk go more into the fact that he wants to be a stuntman now or later because something that I struggled with about this, this uh, dream of his is I never really saw how it connected with the rest of the movie. <laughs> and maybe I'm not remembering the ending very well. Like, does his like desire to be a stuntman come in handy at some point? Like, does he prove himself as a stuntman? It's like, that's why he wants to be a stuntman, because he's, he's going to use it to save everybody in this crucial scene. Like, all I can think of is he does stunts because it's, one, it's fun physical comedy, and two, I guess Looney Tunes get hurt a lot so it makes him like a looney tune so they're more relatable but otherwise i don't get it maybe i missed something yeah i think that's as close as you can get is that during the (laughs) ending scene he's doing stunts to save his dad and everyone else but does he he doesn't even like get his stunt career right he just punches out real brendan fraser (laughs) spoiler alert we're not (laughs) yeah so yeah it seemed pointless Uh, otherwise he's a security guard on the Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers lot Mm -hmm. uh, alongside Dick Miller who seems like he's 80 years old and he just died this year so it's amazing that he was working for so long Uh, and we get to see all the hijinks that happen around Warner Brothers yeah this was multiple people's last films I know it was Jerry Goldsmith's last film as composer it was also Peter Graves' last film (laughs) 
It's a very small part. Yeah, I guess if you want to say Chuck Jones' last film, or at least his, like, he didn't really do anything but his involvement with the Looney Tunes legacy. Um, So then there's also that scene at the restaurant where there's a bunch of cartoon characters having lunch. The most notable of is Shaggy and Scooby having lunch with Matthew Lillard from the live action. We all watched it together, and I feel like that got a laugh. That was. That's that good stuff. Fucking I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it because it's it's Shaggy criticizing Matthew Lillard for his depiction in the film. And and for me, this was the first indicator that this was going to be a great film. Because up until this point, we had seen a lot of dumb hijinks. You know, Daffy commits an act of terrorism and knocks down the Warner Brothers water tower, which gets him and Brendan Fraser fired. And it felt sort of schizophrenic. You know, the, the movie's kind of tonally weird and it's cartoony and they're doing all sorts of dumb you know it's sort of that very like turn of the millennium like kids movie style of just like it's colorful and fat and wacky and fun it's a live action cartoon it's a live action like monkey bone like monkey bone with also brendan fraser Uh, (laughs) or scooby-doo i think uh rocky and bullwinkle also a touchstone for me definitely (laughs) um but this was that 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 diner scene after that where you see these characters in the background. Um, you see Michigan J. Frog in the background. Yeah, too, and, and the weird construction worker shows up and puts him in a lunchbox yeah. and sneaks him away. And that's what, like, that opens the floodgate for what is a myriad of batshit references <laughs> that this movie makes for the rest of its runtime. Uh, and I was here for that. Those are fun, yeah. I just can't remember what happens after that. Oh, they go to... Uh, Damien, what's his name? Damien Drake's house, mm-hmm. who is Brendan Fraser's father, mm-hmm. who is this movie spy. He's basically James Bond, which is great because he's played by Timothy Dalton, who is a real life James Bond. Gotta say, I am a fan of when any of the James Bonds play a character who is very similar to James Bond in another movie, like how Roger Moore is basically playing James Bond in Cannonball Run. Oh, I can't believe you came up with something positive An to say Cannonball Run. pretty bad movie. <laughs> also, it's not quite the same, but it kind of reminds me of how Clive Owen played Agent 006 <laughs> in Pink Panther. Oh, yeah, yeah. Almost yeah. because there's rumors at the time that he might be James Bond, and it was almost like a, a secret <laughs> audition or something. I'm really disappointed that didn't happen yeah. because he was fantastic in Pink Panther. Also, just a fun coincidence that uh, Timothy Dalton and Brendan Fraser are both on Doom Patrol, and here was their first connection. That's right. Connection. That's so cool. Hmm. I love shit like that. All those spy posters are fantastic, and they all look great. I can't remember most of the names. I can't remember any of the names, but they're really good. They all seem like they could be real movies. Um, So they go to his house, and uh, Damien Drake Sr.'s remote control starts starts to ring. And -hmm. so they turn it on, which... Makes like a little a projector. Paint, a painting of Timothy Dalton as a spy goes up <laughs> into the ceiling, and then a screen of him, uh, f- I guess, fighting off goons. <laughs> it's live, apparently. Yeah. It's a live video call. You're like, son, you, I, you have to like help me go to Vegas. And did he give him? Oh, he didn't get the blue. Did he? Did he actually? I don't know if he said that yet. What did he tell him to do in Vegas? He just said to, he, he said, told him to get to Vegas. I think he said he had to go to Dusty. Tales. So yeah, he told he told him to meet someone in Vegas. Yeah, he he didn't have time to talk because he's too busy fighting goons, fighting those goons. and like throwing like 
a grenade behind his back, actually. Yeah. That's what spies do. Mm-hmm. They're secrets. And... And so they... Uh, and oh, Daff- did, we, did we mention that Daffy is his team yeah, up? Yeah, Daffy's been sticking yeah. uh, sticking around, bothering Brendan Fraser. Sort of at this point, arbitrarily, but but now that he knows that there's treasure to be won, he, he thinks the the blue monkey's a, like a huge diamond, and he's like, "Well, I can cash in on that because I just lost my job mm-hmm. at Warner Brothers, and I need cash." Um, <laughs> Weird, the idea of these cartoons having literal employment, which is kind of Roger Rabbit. Yeah, who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> Same cinematographer, yeah. Dean Cundy. He knows how to shoot cartoons. Yeah. They're a little too shiny for me, for my liking. Yeah, maybe we'll get to that later, the, the okay. animation overall. Okay. Um, so then they go to the casino, which is owned by Yosemite Sam. Get a surprising amount of Yosemite Sam in this movie. Yeah, more than all I need. Yeah, I mean he's he's fine. He's really warm. So this is like a big difference between this and Space Jam is that the villain characters remain villains in this world, instead of them all being unified as tunes versus you know the evil aliens. So Yosemite Sam is working with the Acme Corporation, mm-hmm. which is what Steve Martin runs. Um, to help them stop the drakes. Do you guys feel okay with that? With the villains staying villains? Yes, that's fine. It's just a little weird that so many of the Looney Tunes were kind of villains. And there's that one line where Elmer Fudd, he's just like, well, I guess I'm just a bad guy. It's weird if you consider this a sequel to Space Jam, but yeah. I guess they don't. <laughs> Space Jam was probably just a movie they made in this universe. This is a, Yeah, this is its own thing. Well, yeah, it seems like it can't because in Space Jam they live underground in a separate world from human beings, yeah. and in this they're they're integrated. Okay, so yeah, they go to the casino, and they have to meet. What was it? Dusty Trails? Was that Dusty Tales? Dusty Tales, played by Heather Locklear. Again, like must have been like fifteenth choice, right? Heather Locklear. It's a weird playing a choice. singer too. Like it seems like a part Taylor made for a famous musician to have yeah. a cameo. And you have Heather Locklear, who I can't even think of what kind of movies she was making at this point. She seems like mostly a television actress from the nineties. Yeah. But here she is yeah. doing a song and dance number with a bunch of dwarves dressed as Yosemite Sam. That really freaked me out. It was weird seeing <laughs> live action Yosemite Sam. <laughs> That was pretty funny, and Brendan Fraser dresses up as a giant Yosemite Sam and tries to talk to her. Mm-hmm. She knows his dad. It's that thing where he can't wait for the song to end. He has to get on stage right now and talk to her. <laughs> it's way funnier, Sean. Yeah. What did so? What did she know? She was all. She was secretly an assassin. The, the singer mm-hmm. thing was just a cover. Yes. She puts on a leather cat suit and uh, helps put him on the trail to where his dad is and she beats up some goons and then we never see her again does she give him that little card she does she gives him the little playing card yeah the queen of diamonds and there's a riddle or something that goes with it i don't remember what that was but i remember they just peeled the back off the card the window behind the mona lisa's eyes or something sounds right it's like not even a riddle because they just go to the mona lisa yeah, it's a, you know, it's a weird clue or something. It's also at this point that finally um, Bugs Bunny and Jenna Elfman catch up to them. Oh yeah, um, they've been driving in um, in Damien's suite 
uh, spy car, which I guess Brendan Fraser didn't know was there. Which they just straight up stole from his house. Yeah, because they took his uh, his shitty gremlin car. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is Jerry the Goldsmith. When they got in the car, they had a music cue from Gremlins. And I was thinking, uh, how many times has there been, like, has a composer, like, made an in-joke in a movie? <laughs> what are the odds of that happening, too, really that weird. a composer who's worked with a director before makes a joke to one of their previous collaborations? He's pretty specific. Probably the only time that's ever <laughs> happened. Uh... I remember also from that driving scene that was the first of many nonchalant explosions in the background in this movie. They accidentally fire a missile behind the car and it blows up a big chunk of the desert. Not a bad gag to bring up time and time again. And I guess there's a there's a, a decent car chase when they leave the Yosemite Sam Casino. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're, we're Je- our, Jeff, boy, our boy, our Jeff, boy Gordon. Jeff Gordon shows up because he drives his NASCAR car through Vegas and he's so. in full gear. So you, you see how they worked in both the spy jam elements with uh, Damon Drake, mm-hmm. uh, Damian Drake, and then uh, race jam with their with their boy Jeff Gordon. I don't even know if he has any lines. He probably has one. He's probably like, "Hey, that's mine." Yeah. <laughs> I didn't trust him. Like, too wow, much. they they're gonna build a whole movie around this guy. <laughs> well, he can drive. It's true. That's really impressive looking. <laughs> you can't fake that on screen. Nope. You got to get a real professional to do it. And they have a car chase. And I thought it was sort of funny when they had like dynamite in the bad guy car. And they're one of the goons like got to throw it. Or somebody Sam tells them to throw it. But like, no, we could hurt somebody. And it was weird to me to think that like, wow, so they can kill people with like their weapons. But to them, they're like immortal. They can survive their explosions. Because then the explosion goes off in the car and they're just all covered in soot. Mm -hmm. Classic cartoon explosion. It's kind of freaky. They, they absorb the, the pain, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and then we've also at this point seen Daffy Duck um, basically can teleport wherever he wants to go. Um, and also he ha- can separate parts of his body and can maintain control of them. He's already uh, moved his beak several times oh, yeah. off of his body, <laughs> um, which will come in handy in the climax of the film. Mm-hmm. It's almost too convenient because there's parts where Brendan Fraser gets so mad at me it tosses him out of a car and then he'll like pop up in the glove compartment. Yeah. I guess it's a good time for me to bring up I didn't realize how much I hate Daffy Duck as a character. <laughs> oh my god. He is infuriating because in, in Space Jam they kind of just make, make him like he's like oh sarcastic like he can't like he's so tired of bugs you know bullshit mm-hmm. but in this he's like that he complains a lot but also he's like super manic and won't stop touching things and messing with stuff and it's mm-hmm. just the two worst character traits to have he's nothing but horrible i hated him so much <laughs> insufferable character uh, i didn't care for bugs bunny so I, bugs bunny's okay though i, I he's just a little stinker. He's not too... I think I like Bugs because he's way more laid back. He's he's pretty laid back for a cartoon character. He's too laid back in this movie. He doesn't seem to care about anything that's going on. But I think the thing is the movie moves so quickly, it's nice to have a character that is kind of a little slow he's, back. He's, he's almost like Jerry Seinfeld from Seinfeld. <laughs> he has a lot like, like Jerry he's Seinfeld. He's just like not that invested in what's going on because he yeah. knows everything's going to be fine. He's the Jerry Seinfeld of cartoons. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, and then this is the part where since now they're in the spy car that they realize the spy car can fly, mm-hmm. and they're gonna fly to Africa first, or were they gonna go to Paris first? 
I think they were just trying to escape at this they're point. They're trying to escape. They didn't that know where it. to go. That was it. They don't find out about Africa until later. Yeah, so they're trying to fly, and they're flying over Vegas. And somehow it malfunctions. They run out of gas. They run out of gas. Over New Mexico. Over New Mexico, that's right. And they go down in the middle of the desert. I think Frank, Wiley Coyote's there. I can't remember what he does. Yeah, because he like works for Acme because he always bought their He loves products. Acme. We should yeah. talk about Acme. We haven't talked about Acme. They're the bad guys in this movie. <laughs> and they're led by Steve Martin as Mr. Chairman, the leader of Acme. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we need to reveal his plan yet. We might as well. Yeah. So his plan uh, is to get the blue monkey, which apparently has the ability to turn people into monkeys and then turn them back into people. And what he wants to do is he wants to turn everyone in the world into a monkey and then build Acme products and then turn them back into people and then have them buy the products. Ingenious. Who's gonna, how are you gonna organize the whole world being monkeys? If you're the only one and maybe one other person who aren't monkeys, like I know it's a cartoon movie, but it's an awfully strange plan. I just want to mention, so often in movies, they say something like, I'm going to turn you into a monkey, and then when it happens, that person gets turned into a chimpanzee, which is an ape, not a monkey. Yes. So I had (laughs) so much respect for this movie, because when people get turned into monkeys, they get turned into actual monkeys. It's like the monkey on Friends. Yeah. What kind of monkey is that? I'm going to look up what Marcel, what kind of monkey? I'm going to think that's enough. Uh, I'm sure it is. People love that me monkey. Too. But we were talking. It's a capuchin monkey. But we were talking about the um, logistics of uh, Mr. Chairman's plan, and a chimpanzee is strong. It's smart. It has a sort of human shape. You could you could see a chimpanzee being a, a useful employee if you can train it well enough. A monkey has hands. That's about all it's got going for it, you know. I don't. I don't think a, a monkey can work machinery. I don't think a monkey is even close to as strong as a man. I don't know what the use of all these monkeys would be. And why are the people going to want to buy the products now that they've they made them? I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes life be like that, you know, capitalism and, and shit. It's just like, I... but they already have products, and they can do. Like one instant delivery too. They have some pretty good resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, capitalism, man. It's like got got to keep increasing your profits. Got to keep growing. I guess I don't really know why though. They seems like they're doing pretty well. They have like satellites and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, you think they'd be satisfied, but that's just <laughs> that's just how corps do. That's how they do it. So, okay, let's talk about Steve Martin as Mr. Chairman. He's terrible. It's the, probably really the worst bad. performance I've ever seen him give in his career. Yeah. Uh, because he is, I guess because he thinks, because he's in a cartoon movie, he should be a cartoon, which is the wrong direction to go. Mm-hmm. If anything, he should be playing a more traditional human villain because he's trying to be a cartoon and he just comes off as like a very goofy child entertainer, very immature, almost like falling over when he walks funny. He has a ridiculous outfit, high socks. It's like anti-comedy. <laughs> It's so bad. Well, because he's also just a collection of quirks. I don't. I don't think Steve Barr never figured out like what's the hook to this guy. Like, what's the thing that actually makes him funny? He's just like has kind of a funny voice, and he does a bunch of weird, like spastic 
<laughs> arm and leg movements, but he never figures out like what's the, what's the core of this character. That it's a makes... fucking nerd. Yeah, I guess. I just I don't get it. Because um, yeah, I think there would have been a way to make the character kind of eccentric and weird and even a little cartoony without going so big and also so like bland and directionless. Um, so yeah, not a great performance. I read that he only did the movie uh, on on the one grounds that they put in a Doctor Who reference. So he's just what? He's just in Doctor weird. Who? Weird. Yeah, I guess. Like, <laughs> they do. I don't, I it don't isn't. Swear. Steve Martin is an impressive get for this movie. It's weird that yeah. I would say it's an impressive get, but it's a it's the worst performance by a long shot mm-hmm. in this movie. It's it's very surprising. It, I mean, it's also not a great period in his career. I don't think. I think yeah, it was true. when he was kind of trending towards more broad comedies that he probably was just interested in doing, so he could get money to buy expensive paintings to put in his collection uh, yeah I don't, I don't know it's uh, do you have young kids or something I don't know he did in a lot of those movies yeah <laughs> I mean this is the same year he did Cheaper yeah he has a dozen. dozen kids right yeah it's a true story when did he do Bringing Down the House? Same year also. 2003, <laughs> he Christ. does Bringing Down the House, Lady Two's Back in Action, and Cheaper by the Dozen. That's got to be the worst year of his life. <laughs> yeah. Much worse than that. It's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not great after, after that. Oh, also, he's got a board of uh, board members who are also evil, and I assume most of them are like character actors that Joe Dante is a fan of. Including Robert Picardo for some reason. He has like no lines. And Ron Perlman, who also has like one line. Okay, so Ron Perlman's super confusing. I get Robert Picardo because uh, Joe Dante's been using Robert Picardo since The Howling. He's been using it. He's been in almost every. Like, he's the only act. After Dick Miller, he's probably the actor he's used the most. Mm-hmm. But Ron Perlman, as, long, as far as I know, Ron Perlman isn't in any other Joe Dante movies. <laughs> It's not like most people are like, oh, it's that guy, or maybe, but I just don't understand what he's doing there. I, I want to believe he just showed up on set. He just that showed day. up that day, I guess. <laughs> Get him in wardrobe. We'll Gold- turn him into a cartoon skeleton. Goldberg's there too. Goldberg is uh, the gay, wrestler. Yeah. The wrestler. He has. He's mute. Yep. Thank God, because I've seen Santa slay. <laughs> Were you slayed by his performance? Let's just say there's a scene where he uh, where he goes into a strip club and goes ho ho hoes. <laughs> pretty good you know we, we didn't mention it earlier too uh joe dante likes to work with a lot of his buddies roger corman had a cameo in oh, this movie. Right. he was directing a batman movie on the warner <laughs> brothers lot which i love the idea of roger corman in the early 2000s making a batman movie because uh but yeah, it's just it's just funny because joe dante you know he went to the the corman film school as they call called it roger corman gave him his start so mm-hmm. it's, it's cool that he got to kind of pay tribute to him by having him in here. Also, this is now back-to-back episodes that are one Warner Brothers and also feature a director playing a director because last time we did It and it had Peter Bogdanovich as a director. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah. Roger Corman playing director. There's a letterbox list to make. Movies where directors play directors. Yeah. Gold member. Gold, Steven Spielberg. Okay, not to go on a, a tangent, but don't you love in the opening bit of Goldmember when Steven Spielberg they like cut to a stunt double and he starts doing backflips? <laughs> yeah. 
hilarious. That's pretty good. It's just too bad the rest of the movie can't live up to that sequence. Mm-hmm. He also like seems to also plays a director in the Librarian Girl music video. But at the end of the video, you find out Michael Jackson was the secret director. Tangent over. <laughs> Weird. Um, the desert. Yeah. They're wandering through the desert. And Wile E. Coyote tries to kill him and fucks up. Because he always does because he sucks. And acne sucks. They make subpar products. They were doomed from the start. Like, no way they were going to win. All their, all their shit fails all the time. That said, they did have instant delivery on their online <laughs> store. Oh, yeah. Which, you know. Did, we're close did, to that have now much with of that Amazon, but not yeah. quite. There was Cosmo.com in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. If you lived in Seattle. <laughs> I wonder what the time was on Cosmo. Was it two hours? It was something like that. It was, it was, it was wicked fast. Yeah. Because that's what Prime now is now. Yeah. It took him 15 years to get to that point. Anyways, enough about Cosmo.com. Um, so they... do. Do we already mention that they just kind of step into Area 52? 52! It's hilarious because they're like, Area 51, see? And they put it to the sign, Area 52. That's the real one. Area 51 throws you off. Great joke, except we all saw it coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. And it's Joan Cusack, which is a weird... I forgot she was in this when we started this, and it was really weird to see her show up. Seems like she was having fun, though. Yeah, she's always That's, good. like, the right kind of energy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Where she's playing it goofy, but still within the... Like, I can imagine a person being like this, especially, like, a kooky scientist. So She's all, like, falling over with every Yeah, line. she's <laughs> not falling over or wearing, like, oversized glasses. Like, ridiculously oversized glasses. Yeah, she's wearing a goofy scientist costume, but it's, like, it's practical enough that it doesn't stand out. Uh, but this part of the movie is super fun because since it's area 51 or 52 they have a bunch of aliens there and for some reason all the aliens are uh, robots and aliens from from classic B movies you know another thing that Joe Dante loves you got uh, the monster from this island earth and there's a Triffid we mentioned the Dalek there's Robot Monster from the movie Robot Monster which is a hilariously bad movie uh, oh, but the best one. The best one. Okay, so John and I likes to cast his friends, right? Uh, and one of his friends who he's worked with probably like three or four times is Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy is most famous for being in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So what do they have? They have Kevin McCarthy being led down a hall carrying a giant pod and he's in black and white. And I'm sure he said something like, they're here, they're here, like his famous line in the movie. And I just, my mind exploded. Because it's like, okay, so... I love it when we were watching it with you. Because you literally were like, okay, let me break this down for you. What did we just watch? So now we have, okay, this character is apparently, is he real or is he not real? Because he's in black and white. So do they pull him out of a movie world? I mean, these are, this is a world with cartoon but characters. But here's the thing, like, I see this, I, I see the This Islander thing and the Robot Monster thing. And like, within the context of the movie, I'm to believe that they're real. They're real aliens and they're being housed because they're threats mm-hmm. but kevin mccarthy's like a dude who found an alien pod but he's in black and white is he real is they pull him from a, a like a movie world what's going on here why is he black and white from pleasantville now this isn't the only time they do a scene in black and white in this movie we skipped over it but there's a scene where bugs bunny breaks into timothy dalton's house and takes Classic. a shower and jenna elfman recreates the scene from psycho with her opening the shower curtain right down to the Hershey syrup going down the drain because in psycho they use Hershey syrup for blood so they have bugs squirting Hershey syrup mm-hmm. I thought that was a 
a funny idea set up horribly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no reason it's for a it. Very random point. In the movie. Why is Bugs here taking a shower? Well, yeah, Why he went it... looking because Bugs is out looking for Daffy because they need Daffy to for the cartoons to go on. But as we already established, he doesn't seem to really care. <laughs> But like he, so he went there looking for him, and then he took a shower. I know this is like a cartoon movie. It's got to make some sense every now and then. If we even had like a scene where Bugs was like got dirty or something over there, he's like, ah, oh, Max, that's a get him out of clean up, you know. <laughs> Bad Bugs, by the way. <laughs> I would have bought that. You have to have setup for jokes. You can't just have a joke sometimes. There's got to be a little more to it. Don't tell that to this movie. <laughs> but yeah, that Kevin McCarthy thing blows. My, it's so weird. It's. I think it might be the weirdest thing for me in this movie because I don't get it. I don't get. If he if he'd not been black and white, I would have been fine with it. I, that because then I just like oh it's just that guy's just been wandering around for years and years and years, literally carrying but, a pod. It kind of makes sense in the mythology of the movie because if you're going to reference a black and white movie, it has to be in black and white. It has been established. But like Robot Monster is in black and white. It's true. And none of the other guys are in black and white because some of those guys are from black and white movies. Also, none of these references are for kids. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even get a lot of them. <laughs> There's one I didn't even get. There's a guy from uh, uh, the Man from Planet X. That thing with like the big weird white head. I didn't know that one, but I knew all the other ones. Those are deep cuts yeah <laughs> but they were cool because they all get loose and they all they they fight them and uh daffy gets turned into goo at one part also marvin the martian oh there. yeah it turns of out course. he's he's a secret operative for he's, the acme yeah. corporation i guess he's just chilling there and then he can just like get out because they're like we need you now mm-hmm. now we'll release you i guess it gives him incentive to do it because like well they're gonna release me to do it so there you go so chaos at Area Fifty Two. Yes, that's when they find out that the if you peel off the back of the Queen of Diamonds card, you can unravel the mystery of the Mona Lisa. Is it so they get from here to Paris? So this is yeah. the part where they do the most fucked up thing they do in the whole movie, where Bugs where they're like, "How do we get to Paris?" And Bugs Bunny's like, "Like this." And he grabs the corner of the screen and he oh, turns it like a page. Oh, they're in Paris. Fuck that. Why anything? Why anything if you can just do that? These cartoons can do too much. That's the kind of thing that I think you got to give kids credit. I think most kids probably saw it and were like, well, why didn't they do that earlier? <laughs> Come on, man. What a bunch of, what a load of shit. <laughs> yeah, they just turn the scene and they're there. They teleport. Um, and this part of the movie is real weird too, but in a less obvious way. So it's set in the Louvre, but they never go to the Louvre. They go to other museums, <laughs> which I guess they just want you to just, oh, that's just, it's a museum in Paris. It must be the Louvre. Yeah. And they go through an art museum with a bunch of paintings, but like only the Mona Lisa's actually in the Louvre. So it, it just doesn't make any sense logistically. And of course they come out and they're right at the Eiffel Tower, which... You know, whatever. You got to streamline geography in movies, but it's just—it's just so low effort. Of like, we have a set. We'll call it Paris. I do like. I don't want to skim over the scene at whatever place they're at that has the paintings. 
where um, Elmer Fudd shows up because he's evil. I guess I'm I like just that. I like, evil. I like that. I guess I'm just evil. Oh, it's all <laughs> struggling. You are terrible, Elmer Fudd. <laughs> and they, it, I actually like the sequence where they kind of jump in uh, painting to painting. Yeah. You know, like they go in like a Salvador Dali painting yeah. and that Sundays in the Park with George painting. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's cool to see him in the different art styles. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Salvador Dali one is disturbing. It's because they start melting. It's body horror. It's fucking body horror, man. It's disturbing as hell. Yeah. But I, I I do like that because it's also established very early in the movie that they can jump into like drawings or cartoons mm-hmm. because when Daffy's running amok on the Warner Brothers set, he jumps into like a cartoon backdrop and Brendan Fraser tries to run and he like crashes through it. So I thought it was a kind of fun to return to that. It's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, they can jump into cartoons because they are <laughs> cartoons because they're basically gods. Yeah. There is some logic to this movie. Yeah, and see, they remembered, they remembered some things. Some things carry over. Uh, oh, we forgot to talk about Brendan Fraser's spy gear that he got. from. He got spy stuff from Area 52, mm. including rocket pants. Yeah. Rocket pants and also the cell, cell phone that has, it's like a Swiss Army cell phone. Yeah. Okay, and so when they do look at the Mona Lisa, they find that they need to go to Africa based off of like, there's like a map. A map of the continent of Africa. It says Africa. So they know to go to Africa. And Jenna Elfman takes a picture of it with her cell phone. But then Goldberg shows up and they try to steal the cell phone Mm -hmm. because it has the picture of the map. And so they have a scuffle on the Eiffel Tower. There is a good gag... Uh, around the Eiffel Tower when Brennan Fraser tries to use his rocket pants and they just shoot off and this this dumb family of bears laughs at him. And that was actually funny. They're like laughing at him. And I don't know. Got me. I mean, his pants, his rocket pants is flying off. That's like, a solid, <laughs> a solid <laughs> gag. Yeah, can't miss. Rocket but then he pants. beats up one of the bears and steals his shorts. Yeah, like, give me your pants. <laughs> Some like real... Liam Neeson taking shit right there. <laughs> and they they get to the top of the Eiffel Tower and they take the phone and Jenna Elfin almost falls to her death, but Brendan Fraser decides that his what's I guess worth risking his life and jumps into the sky to save her. Mm-hmm. And how do they not die? What happens? He uses the grappling hook on his cell phone to he swing. He has a grappling hook. That's right. That's right. Uh, but they, they got the phone, but when they take the phone back to the satellite, uh, they realize that Daffy posed in front of the picture. So right. They don't have and because picture. everyone's alive and they still have the card, they can just go back to the Louvre and look at the map again. Yeah, so it was pointless to steal the phone. Yeah. That was dumb. They must have known they needed the card, right? If they need to steal the phone. Well, they should have been good with just the picture. You know, it's like uh, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know... You, it's nice to have the idol, but having the burn on the Nazi's hand is like pretty much good enough, too. Okay, now they didn't just flip the screen to go to Africa, right? I don't remember how they got to Africa. <laughs> I feel like they're just there. Yeah. I feel like it cuts to them just riding an elephant through the jungle. I mean, who gives a shit how they get anywhere? <laughs> it's the, the cartoons. <laughs> they can, they, they can do I, mean, I, I, I do remember the part where they got on the elephant, because it's with the... The granny character who has Sylvester and Tweety Bird. And they're tight with them because the granny is also uh, the secret agent's next door neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> Damon Drake's next door neighbor is the granny from the Tweety Bird cartoons. Mm-hmm. And they show up. 
the only female Looney Tune in this movie. Yeah, there's no Lola Bunny. Lola Bunny is oh, completely yeah. absent. Smash hit Lola Bunny and she's not around. Yeah. What's that about? Probably just had to do with Joe Dante hating Space Jam. <laughs> I assume. But they're like, we got Jenna Elfin, we got one girl. No. And Heather Locklear. Yeah. I guess that's the thing, is they just go meet one new girl at a time. <laughs> Joan Cusack. And Joan Cusack, and then you can't have two girls. The granny. Mm. Uh, so yeah, they go to the jungle because they find out that's where the blue monkey actually is. And I'm trying to remember if there's an obstacle towards getting the blue monkey, or if they just go. It's over a and grab you know, it's it. an Indiana Jones thing. There's booby traps. Um, Jen Elfman has to like solve the puzzle of because they they pick up the blue monkey and right. like this is it. This is disappointing. Uh, Daffy's pissed, but then she realizes it's a puzzle, and uh, she's solving the puzzle while Brendan Fraser, Fraser, Fraser is deflecting uh, darts being shot at them. Super cool, yeah. not not funny at all. Just awesome, just sweet stuff. Just Jedi shit. Getting into the mummy mode. Yeah, he is. It's a natural element. Yeah. Why is he good at that? He's not good at being a stunt man. I guess he just needs real sticks. <laughs> But they get the blue monkey, and Brandon Fraser touches it, and he turns into a monkey. Mm-mm-mm. There's something before Mm-mm. that. I don't remember. Granny unzips. That's right. I, I <laughs> how could I skip over so much? There's a whole lot to unpack right here. I forgot that she did it. So Granny unzips, and it's uh, Mr. Chairman, mm-hmm. and then Mr. Chairman unzips. What we mean by unzips is, you know, they like they, costume, they grab like the top of their deal. head and unzip towards the back, as if yeah, they, their whole skin is a costume. And it's uh, and it's Michael Jordan. Yep. And he says, "Hey guys, let's do some drills." <laughs> <laughs> and I think Sean you immediately pointed out that that is archive footage. <laughs> yeah, that is not something they shot for this. Because one, why would he say that? <laughs> It's probably just the shot that worked the best for this mm-hmm. particular. Also, he, he looks exactly like he did in space. Exactly, <laughs> it's weird. It, it, it's not a bad effect. It's just it's just weird to see it happen. Uh, but then he immediately zips back to to show that he is the chairman. Mm-hmm. Did you guys appreciate this nod? This is the only nod really to Space Jam. Loved it. I, I wasn't expecting it. I liked it too. I kind of wish there was more stuff like yeah, like this, but it just it, it couldn't happen because this is. In a different universe. Than I wonder Space if, Jam. like the space, the love for Space Jam was something that really didn't become a big thing until we became adults. Maybe that love for Space Jam hadn't really sustained itself at this point. Like it was a hit when it came out, but by the early two thousands, they didn't think anyone really cared about it. Mm. Maybe like, we so, were yeah. too cool to openly talk. <laughs> well, about Well, yeah, like, that's the know, thing is they they, they to took so it. long to make this movie that the kids who loved space jam when it came out were jaded early teenagers like us not interested oh yeah and so then i missed the the chairman i guess they they turn him into a monkey but not just temporarily of course right because he he gets down since been the rest of the movie as a monkey it's um it's really hard for me to remember what happens but (laughs) so much the he i remember goldberg also unzips i think he was sylvester or maybe he was tweety bird (laughs) Um, and he's threatening everyone with like a, a cartoon gun, and so they hand over the blue monkey, and he turns him into a monkey, and then somehow he gets it back, and he gets turned. Oh, I know it is. Daffy turns him into a monkey. 
accident. And they make Daffy turn him back. And the chairman just takes the blue monkey. He doesn't turn him into a monkey. He doesn't turn him all into monkeys like he could. Like he could. He just immediately teleports them to Acme HQ. Right. For the final stage of his plan, which is to send the blue monkey with Marvin the Martian to a satellite so that he can do the worldwide broadcast and turn everyone into monkeys except for him and one member of his uh board mary who earlier he's like want to do some kissing later and so now that's like his love interest i guess there's like, like a, a brief moment where he considers like jen elfman and he's like i know i'm hot and i'm like oh god <laughs> kill me now please kill me so hard that's just one joke that was really painful anyway it sets up the epic finale where uh, Bugs and Daffy go off into space to stop Marvin the Martian uh, while Jen Elfman and Brendan Fraser work together to try to finally save Timothy Dalton who's been being tortured this entire time uh, and, uh, and not get killed themselves uh, yeah, he's down. Timothy Dalton's down in some sort of. Uh, he's gonna. He's on some train tracks, also surrounded by a bunch of explosives, because that's hilarious. A bunch of cartoon explosives, because they can kill people. <laughs> and at some point, they send uh, Brent Fraser and Jen Elfman down there too, or do they get to there? I don't know. No, they're like tied up. They're, they're, they're going to be part of. But this. then they get out really easily. Yeah, that was easy. Oh, that's right. And then the robot dog appears. A CGI robot dog. Mm. I don't understand why it couldn't have just been another Looney Tunes character. Oh, wait. I, I, I think he may have been earlier, but we also have a Looney, classic Looney Tunes character, Peter Lorre, uh, working <laughs> at Acme. Because right. uh, yep. if you recall, I guess they own Peter Lorre or, or, or something. <laughs> because I remember a little Peter Lorre character on old Looney Tunes cartoons. Super weird. And he's here yeah. working with the bad guys. Just fun reference for some reason. But I don't understand why the the CGI dog had to be that. Why couldn't it have been a mon- why couldn't it have been like a big monkey? Mm. Or why couldn't it have been that whatever that red hairy thing was called from Looney Tunes? Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. The thing has a like a specific name. Yeah. Very weird. I guess you could just Google yeah, big go red Looney, guy. Looney, Looney Tunes red monster, and I can tell you that character's name is Gossamer. All right. Why not just bring in Gossamer? No, uh, CGI dog. CGI dog. And I feel like they play fetch with it. And I don't know. They must stop it somehow. I I feel like one of the disappointing aspects of this movie is the way they overcome their obstacles is never really that funny. It's either like a very just oh you know we stopped it kind of boring way, or they cheat the movie where they they break the limits (laughs) of reality to get past an obstacle. It's never like an actual like clever way out of a scene, Mm -hmm. so that's pretty disappointing. But they do save Timothy Dalton. From the train tracks and the explosion, mm-hmm. and that is intercut with uh, Daffy and Bugs going after Marvin the Martian. I'm sure there's plenty of Star Wars jokes. There's definitely like a lightsaber in there somewhere. Comes out of Bugs Bunny's carrot. <sighs> yeah, because I guess it's shaped kind of like a lightsaber. 
and they're fighting in space. And it, if I recall, Daffy saves the day with some, somehow. Daffy finally finds his courage, which had not been a problem this whole movie. No. Uh, yeah, what's his arc here? His arc is that he sucks. He sucks, but he wants recognition for being like the number two guy. He wants to be on equal footing with Bugs Bunny. Okay, so yeah, he does have an arc, kind of. Uh, but it doesn't really realize that. Like, I like Bugs. It's like you did do a good job, I guess, at the end. Anyway, so he he remembers that he is also Duck Dodgers, and he puts on his Duck Dodgers costume and helps foil Marvin the Martian. But he's not quite in time, so in the end he throws his bill off of his face to save the day. Like a frisbee. Which is a nope. fucking wild thing to do. do that. Yeah, his body can take it. Yeah, the machine just gets off a single laser uh, back on Earth, and it only hits Steve Martin, <laughs> turning him into a capuchin monkey. That kind of that kind of like disturbed me a little bit. Like, well, that guy's a monkey now, and they're probably not going to try to turn him back. Yeah, they're, they're okay with that. He's just like I know he sucks, but man, now he's a man trapped in a monkey's body for the rest of his life. It's just really dark. Uh, but they they, they did it! Yay! Yeah, Fuck right. you, Acme. So remind me, how do they end up meeting with real Brendan Fraser? Do they like walk off a set? that's the thing is they walk off their own set it's one of those movies that ends with uh, them leaving their own movie yeah anticlimactically yeah, yeah, yeah. okay that happened so quickly that i could barely process what i mean was there going are so on. many things happening so quickly it's it's like so like, they <laughs> were just acting in the movie mm-hmm. so none of it matters yeah. so that explains the kevin mccarthy thing i guess and all the other problems <laughs> it's all the movie there you go there's no logic because nothing it's like it's basically the whole movie is a dream sequence <laughs> Yeah. Actually, that makes me hate this movie. <laughs> well, hey, some parts of this movie. But yeah, he walks off and he gets to meet Brenner Fraser. And dude, the real Brenner Fraser, not that cool, mm-hmm. I gotta admit. Total dick. Total dick. And he punches him. Punches him the fuck out. For reasons. Just because he's a dick. I will say, a lot of people in this movie, or a lot of people who made this movie, don't seem that interested in it. <laughs> Brenda Fraser does seem pretty into doing this movie. Really? After all, he is he did the voice of Taz in this movie. I read that, yeah. He, and he, he does a good job. Yeah. I wouldn't have noticed yeah. that it was someone else doing it. And like, you know, his performance as as DJ is is good, you know. It seems like he's into it, like he's on I thought board. He fine. He's I thought doing he fine. Yeah. I, I think mean, the the character and the writing is bad, but I think he fuck. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It is weird that Billy West is doing Elmer Fudd and Peter Lorre, but not any of the other big characters because he did like Bugs and Space Jam. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know if he just wasn't available or what happened there because this is the. Uh... I wonder if the guy who did it maybe did Bugs more frequently or something. I think so. Joe Alasky. Joe Alasky does Bugs, Daffy, uh, Sylvester, Beaky. I don't even remember him being in there. Yeah. Who's Beaky? Uh, he's like, boo. He's like that buzzer. He's like, boo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did hear Billy West was like pretty pissed off that he didn't get to do bugs in this movie. It's funny looking through the um, the, vo- the voice cast, seeing some people that just do one character. And it's like, why, why even bother? Like, why didn't you just have someone you already had to? Like, I know there's this one actor who only played Pepe Le Pew. He's in yeah. one scene. Do you really need to bring that guy in to do his Pepe the Pew real quick? 
Wow, Casey Kasem as Shaggy. Yep. Doing it, man. Reprising his role. Uh, so yeah. That's Looney Tunes back now. Ends with a Caesars song. Because they're not Caesars, uh, Junior Senior. Junior Senior. They have two songs in the movie. Yep. Because Junior Senior was hot back then. In 2003, yeah. Yeah, they have, uh, the Uh, Don't Stop the Beat song. Yeah. And Shake Your Coconut, or whatever it's called. (laughs) They must have some sort of deal with their record label. I mean, they must have been on must the Warner Brothers, Brothers records. Yeah, sure. uh, one thing we didn't talk about was the animation. Okay, yeah, let's talk about the animation. feels, I don't know, a little more like it's trying to be, I don't know, modern than Space Jam. It feels like it's overcompensating. But Yeah, like it's trying to be almost this hybrid of 2D and 3D. Like some of the characters do feel a little 3D. I'm thinking of like... Yosemite Sam's goons faces look weirdly 3D. Yes. Also, because they're like, in a fight scene. Yeah, they're like the dog and you know a bunch of spaceship effects and stuff. Like all that's 3D. Uh-huh. But then, yeah, you have these traditional animated characters, which is weird that the ending credits show like the sketches of like cell animation yeah. because it makes it seem like this is a really traditionally animated movie, which it isn't really. Oh no, man, no way. <laughs> um, I hated that weird like sheen of light you'd see, like almost like a shade. On the edges of the especially characters. on Daffy because it's green. Yeah, and I feel like that's not consistent with the lighting in the in the situation <laughs> you're in right now. It's just a stylistic choice, I but guess. it's a stylistic choice that has no rhyme or reason within the universe. It doesn't make them like feel like they're there. Yeah, they're not well integrated into their world. It's not like um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is funny because you know again another Dean Cundey movie, the cinematography yeah, earlier. Because uh, that felt really natural with the, the shadows and the lighting in that movie. You yeah. feel like they're really there. And this, There's a couple scenes, like, I, actually that fight scene, if I recall, I thought that looked okay. But then I remember a scene earlier in the movie where Jenna Elfin was holding up Daffy by his neck and there's no weight to him. Yeah. It was just was, like, that looked really bad. I feel like that was a problem throughout the movie. Uh, Brendan Fraser had a lot of moments like that, too, where he would pick up Daffy or throw Daffy out of something and it just like he's doing his best but <laughs> there's obviously no weight there I wonder if they even had anything if they had like a foam noodle with tracking dots on it or, or if he's yeah. just miming yeah because it does not look good it doesn't <laughs> okay remember this... there's one part where Daffy's been like sprayed on the wall I think with fire extinguisher liquid and Brandon Fraser like pulls him off and like wipes the wall off it wipes Daffy off, and it just looks so weird to me. It does look it's weird, it's man. a crazy, like, why did you guys do this? Why did you have him wipe him off? He could have just had Daffy like shake himself off like a dog. Um, do you think the animation in Space Jam works better because so much of it does take place in the cartoon world instead of the real world? Yeah, like, there's really only one scene where the cartoons come into the real world, which is when. Daffy and Bugs go to get Michael's shorts. And even then, they're clever about it because they're like hiding under the ground and they're sneaking around. You don't have a lot of it. 
and I think that's what makes it work. I think you're right, though. I think it's the fact that there, Michael is in a cartoon environment. It's way easier to put him in a cartoon environment. Also, the fact that they're playing basketball, which is a game where, like, either you're passing the ball or you're shooting the ball. You're not so much, like, grabbing someone and tossing them around or something. So it feels more natural when you're interacting with people. Also, yeah. just we, we've talked about logistics problems with this movie. I think, it, for some reason, it makes more sense to watch Michael Jordan stretch his arm out across the basketball court than it does to watch... Um, you know these cartoon explosives go off in an otherwise real world and try to understand the consequences of that. That's right, because in the cartoon world, you're like everything plays by cartoon logic. But then, like in the in the real world, it's like the cartoons are still confined to their cartoon logic, but no one else is. Like the humans aren't. How are we coexisting here? That's so weird. Because <laughs> I feel like it's it's different here from Roger Rabbit. I feel like that's another movie where the cartoons make more sense in the real world. They can you get fucking killed in Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Cartoons get killed in that movie. Yeah. There are consequences. Um. So yeah, this movie comes out. It's a sizable bomb. Does not make back its budget. Uh, this is the last um, feature film released by the Warner Brothers Animation Department. Um, Until like Lego Movie, right? Which was probably under a different oh, banner yeah, by yeah. then. It was yeah. like 2012 or 11. <laughs> yep. Um, doesn't seem like Joe Dante does much after this. This is kind of his last big studio film. Yeah, I mean, he's he's done movies since then, but small, small stuff, you know, that goes straight to, like, on demand or something. Uh, certainly never got to do any an, another movie that was ever released wide, yeah. theatrically or anything. Um... Kind of same for Brendan Fraser. I don't know. What would he have starred in after this? So this is... He really just had mummy movies keeping him afloat. I feel like the late 90s, early 2000s was like... All his movies came out really close to each other, you know? Dudley Do-Right, George the Jungle, Monkey Bone, the mummy movies. (laughs) Even like his more critical, like serious movies like Gods and Monsters came out in that period. Like everything came out with between like 1998 and like 2003. And then it just... Every once in a while, you'd see him. Like, you'd see him in, like, Journey to the Center of the Earth 3D or something. Oh, yeah. But it seems like he's kind of back now because of, like, Brendan Fraser nostalgia, which I'm glad <laughs> that people kind of embrace him again. He'll pop up and stuff. Like, like Doom Patrol or there's probably some other things he's popped up in. So that's cool. He was on that show Trust. Yep. <laughs> I haven't seen Jenna Elfman in a long time, though. <laughs> they, they're going to do another Dharma and Greg. They're bringing that back. You never know. Who is Greg? They're they're bringing back Mad About You. That was uh, let's see if I can if I can recall that actor's name. I doubt it. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. Seems I know he's Thomas Gibson. Thomas Gibson. Yeah, I know he's in one of the Flintstones movies. I think he's the villain in one of them. Or, Maybe or, the or, second one. Or villainous, at least in the in the second Flintstones movie. You're right. He's Chip Rockefeller. Yeah. Because, yeah, because the bad guy in the first one is, is Kyle McLaughlin. Dude, we should do the Flintstones movie sometime. Because the thing about the Flintstones movie is it has such a confusing plot for a kid's movie. It's about, like, trying to get a guy to be the head of your company and then trying to, like, like use him as a fall guy for, like, a huge scandal. Like, that's what kids want to see. Yeah. Uh, Dude, we're totally watching the Flintstones movie at Flintstones. some point. As soon as that hits streaming, man. Yeah. What a weird fucking movie. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I am glad. Like, I, we rag a lot on Looney Tunes back in action, but like, 
I didn't. I wouldn't say like I hated it or disliked it. There's parts I actually it's liked kind of it. It's kind of interesting. It's got a manic energy. It's yeah, super all over the place. It tries a, a lot that, in a way that's you know watchable. I would say like you can definitely tell that like if Joe Dante had gotten everything he wanted, this probably would have been like a fairly good movie because there's definitely some, yeah. there's actually good jokes in it, and there's some good there's some good performances. It just sounds like they tried to throw too much. They kind of try to throw everything and see what sticks, that kind of situation. Yeah. I'll also say Daffy Duck is being underrated on this podcast. <laughs> he sucks, Sean. He <laughs> sucks. He stars in the best Looney Tune, which is Duck Amuck. There is no Looney Tune Mary Melody short that is better than that one. I will say most of my favorite Looney Tunes shorts are Daffy ones for some reason, because he's also in that great one with the the horror comics I don't know if you guys know that one but it's super good mm-hmm. that one's from like the 80s it's got like Leatherface in it I'm gonna watch that later <laughs> and you hear that also that one that's like or maybe that was Bugs whoever's in the Invasion of the Body Snatchers one is a good one too mm-hmm. but no in this movie he fucking sucks <laughs> I stand by that so um, yeah this movie kind of just it made people a lot less excited about the Looney Tunes, I think, in general. I think it killed the Looney Tunes. It killed the Looney Tunes. That's the word I was since. searching for. And I feel for. like they've tried. Yeah. They've had a handful of Cartoon Network shows that people are like, oh, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I guess. I guess they are doing Space Jam 2. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. That's, I keep forgetting that's a thing. That's something that has uh, been in development for a while. Do we know anything about that aside from the fact that it is LeBron James? Is that... I, there are, there are some things. Yeah, I know it's produced by Ryan Coogler, uh, directed by Malcolm D. Lee, who made some things. I don't know. Looks like it's got Clay Thompson, Just Anthony Davis, comedies, Damian Lillard, um, Michael Jordan is supposed to be in it, probably as a cameo. Yep. Is but Lola look, Bunny back? She's on the poster. Uh, or this promotional least. image looks fake. If you go to look it, it does look kind of fake. Image that looks so, very fake. So who knows? I would ho- I would hope so and think so. Man, what's taking so long? Um, well, I mean, I assume there's a lot of post production work for these movies. I know they just wrapped filming okay. because it's kind of the same deal with Michael Jordan, where they had to shoot it in between basketball yeah, seasons. Right. Um, did you guys hear about that uh, promotional thing they did with the real life basketball court in like Harlem? No, they uh, they spray painted a court in uh, I think it was Harlem somewhere in New York with like a big like a like a graffiti type painting of like Space Jam characters and stuff yeah. and everyone's really complaining because they say that all the paint has made the court unplayable <laughs> it's made it like super <laughs> slick and dangerous and you just can't shoot there anymore yeah so bad start I don't I don't know man I don't I don't know if this is gonna work out yeah these movies are in production for such a long time Seems like everybody hates making them. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Malcolm D. Lee. Can't they get have... people involved in Space Jam that like Space Jam? I don't know. I mean, LeBron James seems to like Space Jam. He said he, he loved it as a kid. Okay. Um... He just directed himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's a mogul. He's got the rights to the Friday the 13th franchise. <laughs> you, you think uh, Freddy's going to be in this? Not Freddy. Jason. Jason. Maybe Freddy will be in it too. Like a little like, start the LeBron expanded universe. 
The LeBron's mixed verse. Maybe that's who they'll play in the basketball game instead of uh, the Monstars. They'll just be the Monsters. The Monsters, just a bunch of slasher movies. Look at him, Pennywise, with his own by Warner Brothers. Yeah. Could we get uh, Michael Myers in there? Myers, sure. I mean, I think this does bring up the very legitimate question what would make Space Jam 2 good to you? Not existing. What, what could they do? Because the, so Space Jam is a total fluke. It shouldn't work. <laughs> it really the fact is. that it worked once, like it's like that saying, like lightning never strikes twice in the same place. Like it, it struck once. Don't do it again. It's not going to work. It's not going to stick this time. So don't do it. That's the answer. Don't do it. Boy, if they have a new female buddy that's even hotter. Oh my gosh. I don't know, man. That ruined society, Lola Bunny, because it introduced so many people to those creepy thoughts. <laughs> I feel like that was a big like influence on furry culture and like mm-hmm. the like I, I granted a lot of furry culture is innocent like I'm talking about the creepy side of furry <laughs> culture like the having sex and animal costumes part again I guess there's nothing wrong with that but there's trust me there's a creepy there's a creepy part of that culture <laughs> no, we'll see maybe we'll review it on the pick. I don't know. Oh, hell yeah, we're going to review Space Jam 2. <laughs> I only say maybe because it's coming out in 2021. Which I, yeah, we'll be dead by then. Yeah, it's quite possible. <laughs> um, okay, so should we move on to next episode's pick? So I was really trying to think, because I think the spirit of the pick is me showing you guys a movie that I've seen and you haven't. But it's really hard with you two. I feel like you guys are always the ones showing me things. So I haven't I seen Bulletproof Monk. <laughs> Do you want to see Bulletproof Monk? That's on the table. Uh, kind of. I don't know. It's really bad. Okay, then maybe not. I, I don't want to see Bulletproof <laughs> Monk. <laughs> um, so then I was looking for inspiration elsewhere. And I noticed that this podcast is coming out the week of Ad Astra. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two weeks from now joker comes out mm-hmm. and so i wanted my pick to tie into those two movies and there is one movie i think that exists in that crossroads and it's one i haven't seen and you guys have and it's called fight club Ooh. you haven't seen fight club? i've never seen <laughs> fight club and i feel like i need to catch up with these edgelord movies before the joker comes out fight club's always a good conversation there's a lot to delve into in fight club also the fact that you came out you know it's 20th anniversary yeah. of you know all those 99 movies so mm-hmm. yeah i'd be down to watch fight club and talk about fight club cuz it's like it's it's a movie where like i recognize great things about it but i'm not sure how much i actually like it but i do get why people love it interesting movie the thing that i'm that really piques my interest is it sounds like a smart movie that people have interpreted exactly the wrong way yeah (laughs) um and i want to see if that's the case or maybe that's just the reality of the book and not actually the movie that's a great uh i was like how are you going to connect those two movies in your ad astra and joker's like oh you got you got brad pitt and then, like, I feel like the people that are super stoked for Joker are huge Fight Club fans. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. So it makes so much sense. Oh, that's going to be good. That'll be fun to talk about. All right. Cool. Uh, well, that was the pick. That's, that's all, folks. Ooh.